What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I've raced at Le Mans, ran a used car sales business, present TV shows about cars, review them, and now I have a new radio show on Downforce. I'm Rebecca Jackson. Motorsport, motoring, great guests, brilliant banter. Welcome to The Rebecca Jackson Show. Good evening, everyone. I'm Rebecca Jackson, and this is The Rebecca Jackson Show. And tonight, I have got Lucy Gardner with me. And if you like your supercars and your luxury travel, then you will definitely enjoy listening to tonight's show because Lucy is a journalist, a presenter, a radio host. She does creative strategy, and it's all in the world of super yachts and luxury travel. Lucy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for the lovely introduction, Rebecca. It's lovely to be here. (laughs) Good. Now, Lucy and I go back quite a few years. We've actually known each other since, I think, 2004 is when we met. I think we'll go in in a car timeline since Rebecca's had had a Citroen AX. I think that's a long time ago. Yes, and I'm so amazed because that's not really the sort of car that fits in with the sort of cars and luxury yachts and boats that you deal with. But yes, the AX Citroen AX GT was the car I had at the time. I remember (laughs) it very well. I still don't drive, that's probably why. (laughs) Did I give you lifts? I must have done. I loved driving that car. It was your favourite thing ever. I do remember. And um, yeah, unforgettable considering what's happened with your career now. Yeah, I know. And did you ever watch me working on that car? I know I had a few friends watching me work on it. (laughs) No, I think I must have missed that. I might have been busy that day. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't quite so interesting to you. (laughs) No, no, sadly not. But um, yeah, it's been a long time. It has been a long time and wow, hasn't your career evolved and grown and it's so impressive what you've achieved over the years. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind. Um, It's it's been an interesting um, evolution for me because I um, didn't, this isn't my first choice of career as I when I was younger as, as you know I was very much focused on being an actress um, and I'd gone to drama school and that was my focus and so I hadn't really expected um, my career to turn out as it has but I must say all has worked out really really well and I couldn't be happier in what I do now I've become a bit of a, a maritime and boat buff these days um, and, and yes yeah. love it very very much and you live in Mallorca I mean wow <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, none of these things, you know, when you're thinking of your career at a young age, this is none of the things I thought were going to happen. But yeah, I'm, I'm very, very privileged and spend a lot of time on a, on a very, very beautiful place and, um, and and luckily get to travel a huge amount for work, which is a passion of mine. Um, and, you know, I do get to go all around the world um, playing with toys. It sounds familiar for you. I was going to say, it sounds sounds like my life, um, you know, mine's with wheels and and yours is with big sails. I mean, actually, not all of them have sails, do they? We're talking about some pretty mega vessels that you get to step on. 
yeah, I'm I'm incredibly lucky, and I just feel still wowed by the engineering and the design um, of my of the, the the boats that are made in my industry. And of course, at the massive end, at the kind of mega yacht end, we're looking at you know 100 meter plus vessels, and they're just they are wow. There's no other words really. Um, exactly. And yeah, I mean, I do get to see, I do see smaller boats, but I do. I'm very very lucky as kind of a specialist in large vessels. So that's vessels over 24 meters long. So I do get to see all of the toys um and yeah they are incredible machines really and 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 did you engineer this for your career or did it just so happen that that this is how your career went i mean to specialize in that level as well was that something that you planned or was it a series of events that have led to this i think you know as many people do it's it's a lot of serendipity but um you know, I was living in Barcelona uh, 10 or 15 years ago, and it was just around the same time turning a small port into a huge kind of super yacht port that my business at the time, um, we kind of started to align the business that I was running with the world of yachting. Um, and so I kind of got into yachting as a supplier and started to learn about the industry um, as a kind of supplier rather than um, as somebody who's working inside. So I kind of got to learn it in a really circular way. And at the same time, I was also doing a radio show, um, which had nothing to do with boats, which was like a magazine radio show, having chats with people much like we are now, and yeah. business people and visiting artists, the city, entrepreneurs, even some um, government people. We had a real wide mix of people um, that we interviewed on that show. And so just bit by bit, the yachting industry and my media career kind of went through a bit of a symbiotic moment and, and, and melded into one, basically. That took wow. a number of years. <laughs> it took yeah. a number of years, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, it really was. I mean, I ended up working inside the Super Yacht Marina there. Um, and so I got, you know, really great ideas of how the yachting industry worked from the marina side understand the crew and the guests i mean it's a, it's a huge industry and i guess that if you're not um if you haven't grown up on boats or you're not used to being a guest on a yacht then it's kind of an industry that no one understands i mean i certainly didn't when i got into it um but yeah it's worked out that it's yeah it's it's born a perfect career for me um and i'm constantly fascinated by the industry still i think if it didn't completely fascinate me then i wouldn't I wouldn't be able to do it. I'm just, I've got that little girl nosiness still. Like I must find out how it works. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. I mean, it must be easy to get out of bed in the morning and go to work when you've got that kind of curiosity about you for the industry that you work in. It really doesn't ever feel like work. Mm. Um, you know, it really doesn't. I get to talk to some incredible, very smart people who do incredible things. You know, uh, the engineering part of the business, I, I never thought that I'd be fascinated by. And of course, I've become obsessed by how to, you know, people who build these incredible design and build these incredible machines that not only have all this incredible performance, but, you know, are seaworthy, can cross mm -hmm. oceans. Yeah. And do many of them, do they use them for that ever? Yes. Absolutely. Um, not all yachts are, um, you know, blue water ready to cross oceans, but mm. the larger ones, absolutely. And some of them, you know, will cross the Atlantic. And the ones that are really impressive are the ones that are built to kind of ice class. So they can go Antarctic and, oh, you know, wow. incredible, incredible, incredible machines. I, I just, you know, it's still fascinating. And and how many uh, how many? Because what I'm thinking here, I'll lead up to the question a bit bit more. Is you know you get 
your really uh, competent watch that you can use for sort of deep sea diving and, and you've got your supercar that you have to drive around London at 20 or 30 miles an hour if you're lucky. Now, mm. these vessels that can go to those lengths, how many of them are actually being used for that? And are there many of the customers that do? And, and, and what are their stories and, and sort of what what makes them want to do that? Isn't it fascinating? I mean, there were just so many it questions. Is, when yeah. you it really is. Um, I think I think I'm yeah. just as excited as you are about this. It's really difficult not to be actually. I think as well, you yeah. know, there's a lot of crossover and, and, and kind of general um there is a lot of crossover in the kind of clients who would buy a supercar, something with a, a huge amount of performance, as there would be um, you know, somebody who would buy a yacht. Um often yeah. it's a similar personality of a they like it to explore. The freedom of being on the water is very much, you know, similarity to the freedom of being on the road, the kind of performance of those vehicles. You know, uh, there's just such a wide range of them. Um, you know, there's certain boats that you would want and you just want for speed. You know, um, mm. they're kind of a day boat that we, you, see, you see those ones with the huge rooster tail plumes of water coming off the back and they're just zipping through the water. Oh, what um, fun. <laughs> really fun. Really fun. Um, but, you know, they're very, very different, you know, to a, a big... 500 um ton yacht that would cross an ocean um you know we could you can yeah. get in a fast day boat that could go at 40 knots which is going some um yeah. but you know those much bigger yachts um would carry you in, in some different luxury and across the ocean at you know 25 15 20 25 knots it's a completely different client but i feel like i think it's adventure that often mm. It's the, it's the adventure and, and the freedom of being out on the water because I think um, that's the string that really uh, is the thing that keeps all people who enjoy boating or yachting. It's that feeling of just leaving everything behind. You get on, you get on a yacht, get onto the water and, you know, don't have to think about work or, you know, there's no focus mm -hmm. on anything apart from kind of enjoying the outside and the sea and just that feeling of escape, I think, for people. It was a really... A big deal you know not just people who Powerful um, yeah absolutely mm. and not just people who buy yachts but you know for people who rent yachts or charter yachts you know what a great holiday go sailing enjoy this fresh air swim every day eat incredible food I mean a lot of the larger boats have amazing crews so you're really looked after the highest standard amazing food cooked for you I mean it's a dream oh definitely and we're going to hear more about that dream after this song Motorsport, motoring, great guests, brilliant banter. Welcome to The Rebecca Jackson Show. Before the song, we were speaking about the freedom of being on the open water and swimming every day and delicious food and the crew that look after you. So I'm going to ask you a question now about the crew. Are they there all the time? I mean, presumably you can't just park your yacht and leave it or moor your yacht and leave it. It has to be looked after, don't it? Doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, I think, you know, there would be no yachting industry if there wasn't for, um, you know, the crews who look after those boats, because not only do they maintain the boats and also, you know, in charge of incredibly high level service, they're also oftentimes very, very well trained in all manner of different things, water sports, you know, there'll be sommeliers, the, there'll be, they could be racing captains. Um, you know, highly skilled engineers, of course, have to keep those boats safe out on the open water. Um, and so I think it's a really great crew that makes a yachting experience as well as this amazing vessel. Um, you have to have a great crew and they are 
they are. It's, it's a very highly skilled industry. I think, you know, the below decks, dare I say. I it. was going to ask you, how <laughs> realistic is that? <laughs> well, you know, I think uh, I think it's a reality TV show and mm. reality TV shows, as we know, aren't really real. There is a reflection <laughs> of, there is for sure a reflection of things that do happen aboard yachts, but, you know, that it's edited down into 30 minutes of TV. I mean, it's not yeah. how it would happen in the real world. But of course, there are situations that occur aboard boats that you will see on below deck. But it's kind of a, you know, it's 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 a it's an intense version um, of something yeah. that might happen once or twice a season. You know, over a course of months. And in below deck, it happens in half an hour episodes. You know, once a week. So I can see the popularity of it. I think it has opened the doors to lots of people to kind of be more curious about the industry, which is could only be good. But um, mm. As all reality TV does, I mean, you have to take it with a huge pinch of salt, I think. Of course, yeah. And has it made more people want to work in that industry, do you think? I think it has. Um, I think it has made people more people want to become crew. Um, I think anything that shines a light on a maritime career is a great thing. Um, mm -hmm. But it's a lot of hard work. It's a huge amount of hard work. It's a huge amount of investment. Um, you know, yachting now is not something that, you would just go and do for a summer. You know, from years gone past, you know, people just go and hop on a boat for a summer as a student. Oh, I spent a year on the yachts. It's not really like that now. I mean, the, the, the really serious and high level careers um, and a huge amount of, you know, um, what they would call tickets. So licenses to be able to work and aboard a vessel like that, um, even at the lowest, very lowest end, there's still a huge amount of investment that you'd have to make in your own career to even step aboard a boat like that. Um, to be safe so yeah i mean yeah. i think it's probably shine shone a light i hope i hope for all the right reasons but i mean you know like i said these amazing boats would never run without amazing crew and you have to take your hats off to them because yeah. they work incredibly long hours and they spend a lot of time you know away from their friends and family um at sea and it's not it's not always an easy life but i guess they do get to see the world yeah um, and they I, they probably spend more time on the yachts than the actual owners don't they Yes. I mean, I, I, you know, I think that there's only a, a limited amount of time that an owner will spend aboard his boat, although that's mm. changing a little bit now. Um, after the pandemic, lots more people um, who have boats or have bought boats would like, like, like to spend much more time aboard them. Um, where before they might just go for a couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah, they might have just gone for a couple of weeks. But now, you know, it's, it's not irregular to hear of, you know, a month long trip, six weeks long trip. Oh, wow. So since the pandemic then, because I'm going to ask you two questions about the pandemic. Um, and the first one is in relation to this amount of time that people are spending on their yachts. So since the pandemic where people were yeah locked down, had limited freedom, you're seeing the owners are making use of their boats a lot more and taking longer trips and spending more time on them. And that's across the whole industry, is it? Yeah, actually, after the pandemic, you know, when people came out of lockdown, you know, not for everybody was it a terrible time. And, and lots of people didn't spend very much money during lockdown, as you, you know, people did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when they did come out, they had salaries to spend. And lots of people who had never had a boat before bought a boat. Um, wow. And so actually, after the, the pandemic, there was a huge rush of people buying boats um, because I think that it's that the ultimate freedom. And uh, those who probably chartered yachts before considered to buy and those who'd never chartered decided to charter. So actually, after the pandemic, there was a huge rush into the yacht industry of new clients 
um, who were desperate to kind of escape, really. Wow. And that freedom. So, yeah, <laughs> I think maybe it was similar in the car world. Perhaps people just wanted to get out and explore. And, and, yeah, and the world. problem we had, though, was a shortage of chips and supply issues with actually building the cars. So mm-hmm. used car prices went up, um, but it, the new car market was hit really hard with supply issues so that was a bit of a problem um but I can definitely relate to this feeling of wanting to just get to open space and 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 at the first opportunity that we had I took my children down to Salisbury and I just went to Salisbury Plain where it is so open and you can just see for miles and miles and it was just brilliant to just get out to that big open space and that fresh air. So I can I can definitely see why if people had the money to do so, they would go and buy a yacht or charter a yacht. And it, you actually answered answered my second question because my second question was going to be um, about the sales and and how that was affected by the pandemic. And it seems that actually there were there was an increase. There was definitely a huge uptick in the yachting industry, but also they suffered in the same way that automotive did with supply chain. Um, you oh, know, yeah. it was still very difficult. I mean, the shipyards, the large shipyards here building new yachts, um, you know, luckily enough, they're very well uh, run and they did have, I'm sure, some surplus, but there's only so much surplus you can have when you can't get things across the Suez Canal, for example. Um, you know, I think that the whole world had problems with supply chain mm. issues. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I'm sure things were slower to come to market than they, they maybe would have done. But yeah, mm. it's just a huge rush. I mean, you, you've just said it beautifully and I'm, I'm thinking about the Salisbury Plain now, but I, you know, that feeling of being at the horizon at yeah. sunrise or sunset, I mean, it just, it completely removes you from any feelings of being locked up. I mean, you just feel like the whole world is, is, is there for you and, and open. And I feel like that, is what people are really looking for. And also a huge fascination with ocean, ocean conservation is pushing it, a lot of younger people to kind of um, come into the industry because we're investing hugely in, 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 in sustainable technology um, to come in and, and do it because they're fascinated with being able to conserve the ocean and kind of do better things for the ocean because you, you generally yeah. love it if you get into boats, you know? <laughs> That sounds brilliant. And we will come back to that in a moment. And just before we play this song, uh, your note about the openness and how great that makes you feel when you can see the sunrise and the sunset. There's, uh, I was reading something about some kind of primitive calling where humans feel safe and feel the total opposite of anxious, you know, calm and uh, well, it's that sort of safety feeling where you can see for miles and miles and miles. And apparently that lowers your heart rate, lowers your blood pressure, makes you feel good. It is absolutely on there for mental well-being. So, yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of fascinating research. I can tell you about it. Some fascinating research is happening in the yacht industry right now. Exactly, actually scientific testing. Um, to see how the water affects people's mental state. It's incredible. It's actually an, wow. an amazing. Well, I guess okay. you think back so we lack therapy. It's been it's been around for hundreds of years. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we will come back to that. And after the song, we'll speak a little bit about the conservation items you mentioned. Motorsport, motoring, great guests, brilliant banter. 
Welcome to The Rebecca Jackson Show. Before the song, we started to speak about protecting the oceans and how there's people getting more interested in the yachting industry because the work that the yachting industry is doing. Now, on the face of it, people will see, you know, flashy yachts and champagne and, you know, uh, the high life and the partying. Um, But actually, within the industry, there's some really great sustainability work happening, isn't there? There really is. And actually, you know, you're right, there is. And somebody is about partying and Saint-Tropez and big yachts. And I feel as if it it would be wrong of me to to say that those things don't exist. But on the flip side, there really is some incredible work being done at a really super high level to create, um, you know, carbon neutral uh, products, um, to create carbon neutral um, yachting experiences and, you know, all kinds of uh, different fuels. We're way behind automotive. But with, you know, the industry is trying very, very hard to be able to implement some of the things that have come from your industry into ours um, so that we can, you know, continue to be on the oceans and and not pollute them. I mean, I think the thing is, if you really love the ocean, the last thing you want to do is be part of the problem. You really do want to be part of the solution. And the great thing about super yachts and the industry is there is available so where they can invest <laughs> heavily in the technology you know um, wonderful get, well it's helpful because you know as you know governments aren't doing as they should do um so it does often fall to corporations or private individuals to be able to find that money to be able to invest in that t- technology and bring on the mines you know and and the and have the um and, momentum and- to be able to push that forward Definitely. And when you speak about those mines, we've got some overlap and some crossover from automotive now, haven't we? We've got some automotive um, top talent moving over to the yachting industry to help develop that technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there there, there hadn't been uh, in previous years a lot of crossover, but now, um, yeah, there's a lot of big brands, UK brands I can think of. Um, Princess, for example, um, have some uh, ex-McLaren um, top brains. I mean, of course, because um, there is there is a lot of crossover at the, at the top level and we, we need the brains as much as you guys do. So, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, implementing that technology, there's, there's been some really interesting, you know, automotive and um, maritime uh, collaborations in the last few years and on the on the sustainability front um the one that pings into my brain is uh Frauscher, who are an austrian boat builder are working with porsche and they have the phantom air which is an electric 100 electric day boat um you know beautiful porsche engine all of that technology with the gorgeous slimline Frauscher day boat fantastic vessel and brand Amazing. new it's just just released in, just going to be released this October and they are so beautiful and I think you know that's the future of day boating you, yeah an electric boat of course solar powered yes why not um, yeah totally make use of the sun's rays yeah, exactly and also then you know then then that carbon footprint you know is reduced significantly it is and I have recently found out that solar panels only need light and I feel I don't know whether I should be admitting that I've only just found this out. I suppose I just assumed before that you would need loads and loads of sunshine. And would solar panels be as efficient in the UK? But actually, all they need is daylight. Even if it's raining, they work. 
Well, that's amazing. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think I would be a little bit scared to be on a boat that's just run on solar panels in the UK weather. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, I, I mean, that's, the, the Frouser boat that I mentioned is actually quite a small boat. It's eight meters. But there are companies like Sun Reef Yachts um, and Silent Yachts who make large solar panelled electric yachts up to kind of 80 feet. Wow, um, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, really incredible. And not only they're beautiful to look at and they're catamarans, really gorgeous to look at. They can cross oceans just on solar electric energy. Absolutely incredible. That is incredible. Oh, my goodness. And have you ever been tempted to do one of these crossings? Is it something that tickles your fancy or do you prefer to be a little bit closer to land? Well, I think I would do a crossing if it made sense. If Maybe if there was a story to go ahead with it. I mean, <laughs> if I was chasing a story, I could be persuaded. I mean, no, I haven't done a big crossing. I have been very lucky that um, through my work, I've got to spend a lot of time um, on some incredible boats uh, in some really beautiful places this year. Um, I was cruising in Turkey, which was incredible, and the Bay of Gotek, amazing. Oh, wow. But, but we didn't go that far from land, it's true. Um, and I think, according to all my friends who do work on on yachts and do lots of crossings, it is a, a very particular feeling to be in the middle of a Atlantic Ocean or yeah. whichever ocean you are on a boat. Um, and now I haven't done that, but I probably should. I shall. I should play this interview to friends and just remind them that I should. But, <laughs> you know, oftentimes for me, I get to go on for two days, three days, um, because it is generally with work. I'm not, you know, I'm not a guest. I'm generally mm -hmm. going on there for for work reasons. But I would love to. Have you ever been on a long boat trip? Uh, no, I haven't. I've I've not even been on, you know, a cruise or a ferry that far. I've gone over to the Isle of Wight. I've gone to France, Holland, and I've been to Ireland. That's that's about as far as I've gone on a boat. I feel like there's some synergy here. I need to do more car things. You need to do more boat things. Yeah, I think you could be right. <laughs> and can you sail? Have you have you learned to sail within your um, I work. haven't learned to sail. I can. <laughs> I have got a license to, to drive a powerboat. Um, oh, wow. How exciting. Yes, I know. It's only a small powerboat. Up to 11 license that you would call the powerboat two license. I have one of those. No, I cannot sail. I would love to learn. Um, but yeah, mm. I haven't I haven't got, got with that yet. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky in lots of regards because I get to see these beautiful, majestic sailboats. Very, very skilled sailors. Um, on Mallorca, you get lots of regattas yeah. and so we get to see some of the most incredible sail sailing yachts in the world here um it's like a kind of capital of sailing yachts um so i oh. kind of think i should probably leave that to the sailors yeah i mean they've got all <laughs> the experience and i'm sure you've got plenty of other work to be doing while you're on board um i have been on a jet ski as well in dubai that was definitely that was a highlight after doing the Dubai 24 hour and my teammate sadly crashed the car so we could not continue the race um so my woes were slightly eased by going out on a jet ski lots and lots of fun lots <laughs> and lots of fun I mean who doesn't love the, the the toys I mean the toys on a yacht are the things that you want the jet skis oh so completely the e-foils like all the really fun stuff Definitely. So what does a typical work trip look like for you if you're on one of these super yachts and you're leaving the sailing to the experienced sailors? Um, are you interviewing people? Are you um, hosting videos? What, what's your sort of typical work like? 
Well, I'm, I'm very lucky in lots of regards because I have a very short attention span and I have a very varied work life, which is great. Um, so uh, I, I could be doing any of those things. I mean, I could be on a yacht. We could be um, on a sea trial. We could be, I could be reviewing the boat. We could be opening up the engines to see how quickly it goes. We, I could be inspecting all of the interiors and then we'd write um, a, a review of it for a magazine. Um, or I could be interviewing the CEO, or one of the designers aboard, um, like I'll be doing at the Monaco Yacht Show this year and also at the Cannes Yacht Show, which are all coming up in September. Terribly exciting and busy time of year wow. um, for the super yacht industry. Um, or I could be, I mean, if I'm really lucky, and, and some days I am, I could be just going on to have a glass of champagne and look around. Um, oh, they, they would call that a yacht inspection. Um, oh. And I do often <laughs> take videos and pictures. And um, we'll report back for whichever media outlet uh, has sent me there. But yeah, I mean, you know. A yacht inspection. I really love the sound of that, Lucy. <laughs> I know. It sounds really much more important than it is. Oh, no. I mean, there are many people who need to do more inspections than me. They're, you know, all of the brokers, of course, um, who sell <laughs> and also charter the yachts. They really need to know those yachts inside out so that they can either organise holidays for their um, guests as charter brokers or sell those boats as, as sales brokers. Um, and they really do do inspections. Mine is more like um, to understand the boat, to be able mm. to write, write, speak about it. Um, and yeah, I do, I do get to meet some incredible minds, which for me is the, my kind of favourite part of my job. Um, oh, you know, listening to the funny. stories of listening to the stories of how people, you know, build submarines or how they, you know, have started a yacht brand and it's now, you know, a worldwide brand. I mean, who doesn't want to hear those stories? Fascinating, oh, definitely. Well, and we will do after this song. Motorsport, motoring, great guests, brilliant banter. Welcome to The Rebecca Jackson Show. Before the song, you were speaking about uh, the, the interesting brains that you like to be hearing from and answering, uh, asking the questions and learning more about what they're working on. And you mentioned submarines. Now, thanks to Osborne Lift the Flap books, I have recently learned how a submarine works. <laughs> So I'm teaching my four-year-old twins by learning from uh, the books aimed at them. The submarine is absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure that you knew this years ago, but I just think it's incredible how it has sort of two skins effectively and it lets water in for it to go down and then it lets the water out of this outer skin to go back up again. I mean, that's just genius and, and simple in a way. Um, so have you been on a submarine? I have. Um, and did you know about all this technology, which has been around for years that I've only just learned about, thanks to Osborne Lift the Flat books? <laughs> well, I don't. I hadn't read that book and I wish I had have done before I got there. Um, <laughs> I was invited, I was schooled in submarines by um, probably the world's most preeminent uh, company who make submarines. They're a company called Triton and they're based out of the US, um, but they also have a facility in Barcelona. And for a while I worked for Superyacht Radio. And so I was invited very kindly by their sales and marketing director to their shipyard um, where they were building um, some submarines and they were working on others. Um, and so 
I got to I got schooled by a very intelligent man called Craig Barnett. There you go, Craig. Give you a little heads up because I really knew nothing about <laughs> submarines until I met him. <laughs> and um, on that particular day, uh, there was the most amazing vessel in the shipyard, which was very few people have ever seen or been into. Um, it's called the Limiting Factor. Uh, and it is a titanium hulled submarine, what's a submersible actually, I wouldn't call it a submarine. And it goes all the way down to the Mariana Trench, which is the deepest point oh my goodness. In, on the planet. Um, and it goes up and down like a yo-yo. You can pay to be a private guest in that particular vessel. Um, it's a two-man submersible and it literally oh, wow. is mapping the ocean floor. It's absolutely incredible. It was, um, it was commissioned by a billionaire explorer genius guy called Victor Viscoso and along with um, the brains at Triton Submarines, um, Triton Submersibles, they built the limiting factor and I went in, I was lucky enough to go into that vessel. It was not in the water. Okay, mm. I have to, there's a disclaimer, it was in the <laughs> shipyard and I had to climb up a whole bunch of um, scaffolding to kind of elegantly <laughs> drop myself into this um, machine where I was very, I had a, a wonderful conversation with one of the engineers who built it and I was fascinated just completely enthralled um of this amazing vessel and they this particular vessel has found new species they have mapped parts of the ocean that no one else has before just it's wow. just, I mean, incredible and interestingly enough that brand triton also did the most the most fun submarine you've ever seen they did they did a collab with aston martin there was not a more james bond submersible in the world <clears throat> I thought, you, I, I thought you were going to say the yellow submarine with the Beatles, because that is the first one that comes to my mind when you say fun <laughs> submarine. <laughs> I think the one that brings to most people's minds now, actually, is the ones from Blue Planet. And those, that is the company who make those submarines. Wow. And, and I read fairly recently that we know more about space than we do the deepest depths of the ocean. That's absolutely true. And, and, and if it wasn't for companies like Triton and their incredible technology, we wouldn't be. But they are finding out. They are finding new species and mapping the, the, the deepest depths of our planet. Um, it's incredible. And actually, it's more difficult for them to be sent in terms of pressure to the bottom of the ocean than it is for them to be shot up into space. So, you know. Wow. Yeah, I know. So I don't know why everyone lords astronauts so much. We should be thinking of people doing those deep dives down to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, with your work, where can we find your articles? So you mentioned that with your, you might be interviewing someone or you might be doing, you know, drinking a glass of champagne and doing a yacht inspection and reporting back. And some of the titles that you write for, we've got uh, Yachting Monthly you write for, don't you? I don't write for Yachting Monthly. I do write for the Islander magazine on a regular basis. I write mm -hmm. for Yacht France. I do some work for Yacht Style out of Singapore. Um, and I do do some, you know, voice and camera work if they make me. <laughs> I mean, Lucy is absolutely gorgeous and fantastic <laughs> at presenting and she went to drama school, yet she still has to be forced onto camera. If you push me in front of the camera, I will do it. No, um, you know, for me, I really just like telling other people's stories um, and I feel like, you know, I don't, I don't feel the need to be kind of front and centre for that, but I do understand it's quite nice to see two people having a conversation, isn't it, rather than the back of someone's head. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I do. So you can, you can find my work in, in those magazines quite regularly and then um, you can find me at many shows. I also do some, like you said, creative strategy. So I'm often 
kind of working with brands to kind of create their identity. Um, so I'm, I'm often behind, I can be in front, in front of the camera and behind the camera all at once in my work, basically. Amazing. And your videos, are they on YouTube? You can find them on YouTube. You can find them um, on the Islander website and also on my own site, lucygardner.com, if you want to check me out. Um, and also, if you are at a yacht show, you will often find me there, microphone in hand, running around doing interviews because that's, you know, that's basically what it's all about. I mean, I feel as if hopefully you'll see me in the UK a little bit more in the next 12 months. There's some, there's oh, some stuff in the pot. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, yacht, the, the boat shows, I'm, I'm thinking of what the motor shows are like. So when I do presenting at motor shows, I'm literally running around and excuse me, please to people so that I can get a little bit closer to the car, get a little bit closer to whatever it is I want to show my camera operator uh, and, and therefore all the people that are watching those videos. Is it a similar kind of thing or is it a bit quieter? What's it like at a boat show? Well, for us, especially when we're filming, it's slightly different because you will make an appointment to go and see a yacht um, and then you get to go on and kind of film and, and have a really good look around. Um, or if we're interviewing someone, we'll find a really lovely spot to sit and interview them. Um, you know, and of course, with the bigger vessels, we're talking, you know, 60, 70, 80 metres, maybe bigger. Um, there's lots of places to go and sit and have a great conversation um, with someone that you're going to interview. Mm. So it's not, we don't have to kind of, um, yacht shows are busy, but they're not like car shows because not everybody, you can't get up and close and personal to a, a boat in a way you have to get on it. And mm. um, yeah, they're not open for everyone to view. Um, certainly not the biggest shows like Monaco or Cannes. You do kind of have to make an appointment. It's quite... Um, yeah, it's a lot, a lot less jostly, I think, than because people get it's up close and personal for cars, don't they? They're kind of inspecting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and even with, you know, top titles such as um, I did some work with The Telegraph for one of the motor shows, the Geneva Motor Show, which is a pretty major motor show. And even even with The Telegraph um, name, you still have to be, yeah, jostling to get close. So that's, that's, it sounds like the worlds are a little bit different in that respect then. Yeah, we're, we're not much jostling. Also, if you think about it, the boats are parked, well, they're parked, they're moored in the water. <laughs> so you can't, you know, you couldn't, you could jostle and fall off the, off the dock. That would be horrendous. <laughs> that would be the end of my career. <laughs> yes, it would. And do, do you wear deck shoes? Are you a sensible yachting person? I'm a I'm a shoes off person. I'm a shoes okay. off the passerelle, slip the shoes off and go on barefoot. Good pedicures are necessary. Um, Absolutely. But, but yeah, no, I, I I generally won't wear shoes on a boat um, if they are some boats, um, especially the really fancy ones with white carpets. They may even give you some special something to slip over your feet so that oh, you wouldn't. Oh, the, the the blue things is is it like that? The little blue no, shoes, or are they a bit better than that? Is it a pair of slippers? Slightly fancier than blue shoes. Sometimes oh. they might be like a little, a little dainty sock. Depends oh, on the boat. Lovely. Mostly you'd go on their barefoot. I mean, you know, that's really the way that most people do it when to go and visit them. Um, you have to be so careful with marking the teak and the carpets. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, so interesting. Okay, we are going to play another song now. Motorsport, motoring, great guests, brilliant banter. 
Welcome to The Rebecca Jackson Show. Before the song, we were talking about boat shows and what life is like for you when you go to the boat shows and you organise your appointments. You must uh, organise your appointments ahead of the show so you know what your schedule is roughly. Is is that a sort of a, a safe assumption to make? Yeah, I mean, usually we would we would do as much scheduling as you possibly can. But, you know, um, especially with the big shows like they are boat shows for the industry you know there's all of the industry folk are there but also they're shows where buyers are going to buy yachts and of course if you are with a buyer or a uh, charterer you know somebody's going to spend some serious money on something then they obviously take priority so you can pretty much get that schedule and chuck it out the window (laughs) it's uh it all really does depend i mean you know at the end of the day they are consumer shows um lots of them not all of them some of them are more kind of business to business shows but I'm mm. focusing on Monaco and Cannes because they're, they're coming up in September. Um, actually, the Cannes boat show is just a few weeks away. And of course, they're very much buyer-focused shows. So um, all of the brokerages, the brokers houses will be out in force with their clients and, and showing yachts to sell them. At the end of the day, um, you know, it's just like anything, bought and sold and, and chartered. And, and that's really the focus of it all. So, um, yeah, I'd like to think that there would be a schedule, Rebecca, but no. <laughs> anything not. can happen it sounds like show business well it, you know it, there's a lot of show in the monaco yacht show and there's also a lot of cars <laughs> the amount of cars every yeah. single yacht show that i go to in the last few years cars 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 in dubai so many cars this year's monaco yacht show i know that there's a huge area for for, for automotive fascinating because i know absolutely nothing about it um but it's not surprising that there's such a you know a close crossover because it's the same clients and yeah, it's the same people enthus- enthusiastic about, you know, cars and, and often they love boats as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I need to I need to pick your brains, I think, a little bit about cars. That's what I'm talking about. But, um, yeah, we we can do knowledge exchange or, or a sort of a double act, I think. <laughs> double, double act, yeah, perhaps. But, you know, um, no, for me, it's fascinating. I mean, there's always amazing technology to see as well at yacht shows. It's not just all about the yachts themselves there's also all the suppliers um some incredible tech and amazing you know sustainable design uh, technology which is just fascinating you know um different uh, materials that are being used and sourced it's just it's just really really fascinating you don't ever stop learning when you go to these shows and you know that's what really keeps you interested if it was just always super luxurious big white boats then i don't think i would be as fascinated by the industry as i am but it's certainly that and, and much much more and you mentioned earlier about carbon neutral um, yachts. How are they achieving that? Well, there's lots of different, um, you know, it's not just it's not just propulsion. I mean, they are really digging deep into how they create the boats, what materials are being used, etc. Um, but in terms of engines and propulsions, um, there is the solar electric, which we talked about before. There's also, um, there's technology like high, like hydrogen fuel cell um, is there as well. And that's, you know, become massive. There's also the um, different kinds of um, fuels that people are using like HVO, et cetera. Um, so they're really trying hard to see something that, that works. On the huge end, they're hybrids. Um, most of the new build vessels now that, are, that, that come from the big, big shipyards, all hybrids. So they're going to have, um, several different options for future because of course you, you don't want to buy a boat for several million pounds into the multiples <laughs> and then it be obsolete the technology in a few years so they're mm. having to build things that will enable add-ons and the technology the more sustainable technology to be kind of implemented because if not you know you've just got 
you've got something that couldn't be used in, in future. So there's a huge amount of work going into, especially at the large ultra luxury shipyards, the the Fed ships, uh, the Lursons, um, for example, um, you know, into making this hybrid technology that is that, that is actually can be future proofed and improved as the technology grows because it just goes so quickly, doesn't it? Um, new it does. available all the time. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is, like I said, make your incredible yacht obsolete. So, yeah, there's a, a huge amount of work happening. It's um, it's fascinating. I should be able to tell you much more about this in a few weeks' time when I've gone to all the press press conferences <laughs> at Monaco and found out what is going on because um, <laughs> August is a quiet month for yacht news. I'm sure it's probably the same in your industry. I mean, everyone's kind of saving everything up for... Um, the September push. The big, yeah, exactly. Uh, we have in 2030, you will not be able to buy um, an internal combustion engine powered vehicle. It will have to be an electric vehicle mm -hmm. um, if you want to buy a brand new car. So is there anything like that happening in your industry or is it just the way that the technology is going rather than being an actual official date? Oh, no, there's absolutely a huge amount of new regulations coming in, um, changing the way that yachts need to be built and in terms of their pollution. Um, and there's a huge amount of, you know, um, all of the ESD stuff, all of the environmental social governance laws that are being implemented through governments. And, you know, it's changing the way that every industry works. It's, yachting is absolutely not immune to that. Um, and they're having to change a huge amount um, to be able to fit in with these laws. I'm not... I don't think they have got a law uh, about internal combustion engines like by 2030. That that isn't the case, but there is certainly regulations um, that are changing the way that engines will be working and everything functioning. Um, it's it's huge, actually. Uh, I was having a, a wonderful conversation um, with a guy uh, called Nigel Marison, who runs a company called Blue ESG, and all they're concerned with is how to improve the processes of yachts in terms of environmental social governance because it's it's a huge game changer for the industry. And if the industry doesn't change, then they'll be regulated out of functioning, much like motors, much like automotive. Wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it has to happen. It has to happen on a huge scale. But I think that's the same in every industry. I think, you know, it's, it's obvious now we can't all drag our feet and kind of go, oh, maybe we'll do it in 20 years. The time's not available. I mean, everyone's having to do it right across every single industry. And I think the quicker us at the, the luxury end to get it done, the easier it's going to be for everybody else to implement those changes. Absolutely. Now we're going to go a little bit back in time and we're going to go to sort of earlier life, you know, schooling and early career for Lucy Gardner uh, way before yachting featured in your world. When you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? Was it an actress? Is that why you I went to drama school? It absolutely was. I think I came out of the womb with tap shoes on. I just completely <laughs> loved it. I was just a, like, ever since a child, like I was completely obsessed with films. I, but I've always loved storytelling. And that was whether I was telling the story or writing the story. I've always been a storyteller, always. And um, I think any of the things that I kind of turned my hand to professionally have reflected that. I, you know, spent some time uh, as an actress. I did some, I did makeup artistry for a while. I've run businesses and entrepreneurship, as anyone knows, is so deeply creative. And also, it's all about the story because that's what sells. Um, and so everything I've ever done, really, Rebecca, has all been about telling a story. And my first ever journalist job was my first job. I was seven. <laughs> 
You were seven. I was seven. I took a long time to get back to the career I should have always done. Basically, um, my mother used to work for a magazine and it was an interior design magazine. And we went on a family holiday to Florida and uh, her editorial team thought it'd be fantastic if they got the view of Disney World Florida from the, uh, you know, the eyes of a seven year old girl. Um, so that was my very first journalistic assignment. Um, we got, we had press passes. Oh yeah, we had press passes and a guided tour. Um, and so that I could, you know, write for the magazine um, just what it was like for a very, very opinionated and precocious seven-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> what were the bits you liked and what were the bits that you thought could be improved upon? Well, I must say, I gave them a very, very hard time about having natural raccoon fur. I was very upset. <gasps> um, and yeah. which is quite a joke now because now I now I have a, a slightly looser um thoughts with with fur for all kinds of reasons but I was not impressed by that so I, I did tell him off a little bit <laughs> poor PR guy at Disney World like who is this seven-year-old 40-year-old midget telling me off <laughs> very funny um but yeah I mean like you know so I, I've always I've always loved a story and so whether that's been you know through creative like plays or whatever or just writing stuff down I've always enjoyed it so it's not really a big surprise that I got to do this for a living to be honest yeah. I mean, the yacht, the yacht thing was a bit of a, you know, a bit out of the left field. But, um, you know, the the storytelling bit, absolutely not. Um, it just, it all That's kind of makes sense. Always been there. And and mm-hmm. what made you uh, change your views on fur? And what, what are your views now? Or how do they differ to seven-year-old Lucy? Yeah, I was, I very, had a lot of very strong opinions and that hasn't changed. Um, but <laughs> I do, I'm a meat, I'm a meat eater. I haven't, I'm not, I, I mean, I eat a lot of plant-based food just for, because that's what I like, but I, I do eat meat and I feel as if, and I wear leather shoes and I feel as if, if I'm happy to do those things, then I'd be happy to wear the fur of those creatures. Oh, so that's, yes. Yeah. That's how yeah. I feel. Like if because... I'll, I'll eat a bunny rabbit, I'll wear bunny fur and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be sad about it because I feel as if, if I was not going to eat meat, then perhaps I would have a different perspective, but I do. And, and I, and I feel happy with that, but I think all to their, everyone to their own in that regard, you know, I feel like those sort of personal choices, nothing to do yeah. with me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, that's the beauty of, of people having opinions. Um, but I, I can definitely resonate that resonates with me, uh, because I think if an animal is going to be, if you're going to consume the animal, then actually using the fur, it seems that's, that's, okay because you're not wasting any of that animal because it feels if it's going to die anyway for someone to eat then it's not wasting other products for want of better words from that animal whereas if an animal is is killed exclusively for the fur that I feel is is wrong yeah I mean I wouldn't eat a chinchilla unless I was really particularly hungry you know what I mean and if I'm starving I'm not going to go and eat like a beautiful fluffy animal but I would eat steak so I feel it's all right to have leather shoes yes yeah yeah that's you know that but you know in the end I feel as if people have it's so it's so it can be so divisive that you know it really can people get very very like emotional about fur um I just don't feel that way Mm. that's interesting even though I've got a dog ridiculous but there we are you know I mean Is your dog okay? I could hear your dog barking in the background. Is is your dog all right? Dog's not been very well recently, but she's oh. she's she's doing okay. Yeah, she's um she's Good. bouncing back thanks to the wonders Good. of modern medication. Oh, bless her. Okay, we will listen to a song now.
Motorsport, motoring, great guests, brilliant banter. Welcome to The Rebecca Jackson Show. Before the song, we were speaking about your you actually coming out of the womb with tap shoes on because that is how how you felt that you started life and your early journalism job at age seven. Now, it kind of got pushed to the side slightly, didn't it, for drama school and the dream of being an actress and, and everything associated with that. And what what kind of acting roles did you play? What what sort of work were you doing? Oh wow, yeah. Well, I'm, I mostly my career um, was in theatre, but before you know it became a career, it was a passion as a, a little girl. Like you know, I was in everything, every single school play, um, every drama club. I was in it. You know, um, I, I kind of played characters when I was really really tiny. I was one of those people that you know that my mum would always be crying in the uh, in the school oh. play. Kind of. Yeah, that was always <laughs> me because. <laughs> I, I, you know, I just, I loved that. As a little girl, I really loved it. And I think it gave me a huge amount of confidence and really um, helped me to kind of like refine a love of stories because that's really, it's just stayed with me now. I think I've only just really understood that as an adult, but it's always about the stories. Um, I was not, I wasn't much, much of an actress as I got older. I must say I was not the world's best actress. Um, and um, I found it in the end much, much more um, simple to, to do voice work rather than do, you know, full on camera work. Um, I just found it much more comfortable a place to not be, um, you know, front and centre because it's quite brutal. Drama school, that whole, it's quite brutal. It's quite, yeah. you know, it's quite, a, you know, it's, it's very much, it's not an industry that's necessarily based on who's the most talented. There's lots of other things at play. Um, and I think as I got older, I just really appreciated being in a in professional sense being recognised for being good at something, not necessarily just for how that I looked doing it. Mm, um, interesting. It's a, it's a tricky conundrum. It's not it's not for the thin of skin. And I'm, I'm afraid in my kind of, you know, early 20s, I didn't, I certainly didn't have the kind of confidence I have now. Do you um, think it helped build your resilience levels? Or do you feel that actually it was something that you really had to get over? How, how do you think it affected you because I mean going to auditions and not getting a lot of them because that's the nature of the work isn't it how, how did that sort of make you feel and how did you recover from that okay well there's been a lot of therapy since then <laughs> no, thank goodness quite seriously though I mean for, for my personality it was I didn't cope with that very well at that young age at all I'm afraid I love the work you know I love to be on stage and I love to you know work with a cast and, and create something amazing um but I didn't that you know that is a really very it's very very brutal and you have to be very thick of skin and I just that just wasn't me um and so I was in my kind of mid-20s when I moved away from doing that and I think it was good for me I don't think, I think I've learned resilience in lots of other ways, but I don't think my acting career helped. <laughs> no, that wasn't, that wasn't a helper. Because no. for a lot of roles, people might go for, say someone goes for a, a job interview, they might go to a number of job interviews, they get the job and, and they could be there for years. Whereas with acting roles, they might only be for a few weeks, mightn't they? So you could be go, effectively going through that round of job interviews and rejection uh, every few weeks which must be awful I think it's a really tough I think the life of a job jobbing actor is a really really tough one and I think it's highly competitive as lots of careers are and I think the yeah. only thing I've actually done for a living has also been highly competitive but it's in a very different way um, mm. because of the way that everybody's judged 
so much on the, how they look and um, you know if your face fits it's not necessarily about skill or talent at all and I felt you know at that level anyway I'm sure once you get into it and it's a lot more um, you know complicated and, and, and complex but for me I was definitely happy to step away and do something else um, from my mid-20s but I did have yeah. a lot of fun doing it I mean the auditions and things weren't fun but um, for sure, I love, you know, when you got a job and did the job, I loved it. Did a lot of theatre, did the Edinburgh Fringe um, and a lot of shows, you know, uh, travelling theatre shows. And I absolutely loved those. I mean, it was it was great fun, but not something that I wanted to continue into my 20s. And also, as you know, in my mid-20s, I, I left the country. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I was in Spain by the time I was 26. So you went to worship the sun. <laughs> I did. I did. Yes. And, you know, for me, it was important to learn another language um, and have some kind of different experiences. And I always loved to travel. Um, and so that was always that was always a, a thing that I always had the kind of, you know, real wanderlust. Yeah. See, I was cabin crew. I was a, an air hostess for about a year to two years Um after university and uh, before I set up my used car sales business, which I actually set up kind of on the side. Um, and when I was cabin crew, I did that because I felt it was a bit more glamorous than backpacking because I got to stay in some really lovely hotels. And it's amazing how much you can do when you're only in a place for, say, 24 hours or 48 hours where, you know, you arrive, you do a bit of shopping, maybe go out for dinner, have a bit of a sleep, get up, go out for breakfast, sunbathe for a little bit, uh, go back to the room, have a little power nap and, and, and back to, um, you know, working on the flight again. And I, I really loved it, actually, but I knew that I didn't want to do it for a long period of time. But that was my way of, of kind of, yeah, traveling a little bit and having that sort of that travel bug itch. Yeah, um, so, so that was fun. Um, so, yeah, so you moved to Barcelona and you set your business up. And do you feel that uh, do you feel that you're more respected for your knowledge in the in your career choice now? Do you enjoy uh, the the rewards from your efforts? Well, you know what I you said this earlier on. You know, do I just jump out of bed every morning? The answer is yes. I really love what I do. There isn't a part of my job that I wake up and say, "Oh my god, I don't want to do that today." And actually, I'm very strict with myself. If I feel like that, I just don't do those things over and over again. Um, I, my personal philosophy with my career is that I have to really to do a really great job. I have to really love what I'm doing because like, I want to put all of my I want to put all of my soul into it. I want to make sure that I'm doing the best that I possibly can do. Um, and if it's not giving me what I need, then I just I, I, you know, I'm lucky enough or I've, I've built a career in a way that I don't do the things that I don't like to do. Um, professionally, I don't I don't think that um, I don't think that's a necessary evil always. Um, and certainly uh, it's not the way that I've built my career. Um, I just, you know, I like to be able to really um, put everything that I've got into what I do. And I, I'm, nev I'm never going to do that. That's my kind of like ADD brain, I think. I'm never going to do that if I don't find it interesting or it doesn't, you know, fulfill me in some way. Um, Love and I'm that. lucky enough to be able to make a living like that. But it has been, it has been huge amounts of choices, you know. Um, my uncle had this wonderful, very successful uncle, and he said to me something when I was younger, which always has stuck with me. And I was, I think I was with you um, around the same age that we were knowing, knew each other in our 20s, and we were doing some sort of promotional thing, and I used to hate it so, so much. And, <laughs> and, and um, 
you know, lots of other people didn't hate it and had a great time. I was one of those people who looked miserable in the little mini dress, right? And, um, <laughs> and he would say, well, if you hate it so much, why don't you just go and do something else? And at the time, you know, I, it didn't make sense. But as I've got older, I feel like that's the thing. You know, if you don't like what you're doing for work, go and do something else. Yeah, um, definitely. Because we spend such, so much of our lives doing it, right? And Yeah, of course. And if you don't find it fulfilling, and for me, you know, I, I, I do spend an awful lot of time working. If I didn't find it fulfilling, I would, you know, I would, wouldn't have a very fulfilling life, really. I think it has to, it has to feed you. You know, it's um, actually literally has to feed you and it has to mentally feed you. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. Feed the soul as well. Yes, <laughs> that is definitely, definitely the way to live life. And on that note, we're going to play a song. Motorsport, motoring, great guests, brilliant banter. Welcome to The Rebecca Jackson Show. Before the song, we were speaking about what your very successful uncle said. If you hate it so much, why don't you go and do something else? And I agree. I think that is the best way to make decisions in life. And if you really don't like doing something, if it's something that is necessary as part of your business, then can that element of your business be outsourced? Can you get help with it? If it's what you're actually doing and you can move away from that, you know, do more of what you love and what you like and, and less or none of what you hate. Completely love that. Now, love it or hate it, don't know what to make of it yet. AI and how that impacts your industry and your work. What, what are your thoughts on AI? Well, um, yeah, I've been, have, I've been giving it a pretty good once over these last few months because I feel <laughs> as if, you know, especially as a writer, yes. I think it's something you're going to have to, you know, there's, you're going to have to master it um, and mm. not fight it because, you know, I'm sure there's many, many copywriters out there right now um, worrying a lot about of the course. longevity of their careers and not just copywriters i mean you know i don't know if you've had a good play around with chat gpt or others um but i have and it, and it's quite astonishing um in some ways you know uh i think we just like with any technology i can't imagine you know 30 years ago having the mobile phone that i've got in my hand now that yeah that was you know like a, a tiny mini computer that would connect with the whole world and we could pay instantly like that sort of technology 30 years ago i wouldn't have expected us to have now so I exactly this. and and even when we first met uh so 2004 uh four to five years after that is when i started my used car sales business and i would get home from either buying a car or, or or being out on a test drive or something like that and i would switch on my computer to check my emails you know there, there was yeah. none of this email on your device you'd, you'd get home and you'd and you'd load up your emails and see if you had any inquiries and you know you'd be lucky if you had a few photos with your advert and and it wasn't um you know the computer in your hands so yeah you're absolutely right and, and we'll come back to the phones in a minute um and and i i will i will stop my interruption and let you carry on now i was just so excited to sort of join in with your point on no, that it is fascinating you know technology moves so quickly in every single industry but you know when you're talking about ai i mean of course if you want to like 
turn it back into yachting, I guess, for automotive, like the way that, you know, self-driving cars, you've got self-driving marine vessels. I mean, it's insane. Like, we couldn't have even imagined. Mm. You know, it's like your imagination can't keep up with the technology. My imagination can't keep up with technology, which is which is thrilling and frightening at once, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And are you, what are your thoughts on chat GBT and, 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 you know, some of the, cause you're, you're paid to write articles. Do you, are you worried or do you think that actually we can work together? This is, this can be something which is synergy rather than competition. I think, you know, you have to move in the, the syn- synergy train of thought. But still, you know, I am a child of the 80s. I have seen iRobot and other horror <laughs> stories. You know, it's difficult to separate. It's very difficult to separate. You know, um, especially when you hear the really, really smart, you know, people, the Elons and whomever else is telling us that, you know, it's going to be the end of humanity. Oh, um, and yet, yeah. here we have it. I mean, I feel like, like I said, I think thrilling and frightening at once is where I feel with it. But, you know, at this point when I'm using it for work, it's like having an assistant that always has an answer. You can't <laughs> yeah, have writer's true. block if you've got AI. <laughs> because you just, you know, think, oh, I don't know what to write now. Or, or I'm not how sure how that's going to work. Um, hey, say, hello, chat GPT. And, you can, and it will talk to you. It's fascinating. Wow. Um, but, you know, we're all filling it with so much information that, of course, it's going to be this incredibly smart master of the human race i mean it's just it learns at a rate that we can't really yeah we can't comprehend because there's just absolutely no way a human would be able to scan that much information and recall that much information as quickly as ai no exactly and and the hundreds of thousands if not millions of humans feeding it all kinds of information about us and that's not just you know the actual like you know facts and figures but i mean i'm sure there's some people about they're being really really horrible to the ai um, you know, which is just teaching it what strange and cruel creatures humans can be, which is, it just doesn't, I mean, I can't skip too many, too many, um, too many, you know, uh, stories mm. in front on this one because it just is slightly mind boggling. <laughs> None of the stories end well. <laughs> no, I know. And that's probably the influence of, of, of the movies, isn't it? But, you know, not beyond the realms, maybe, of possibility. Um, and, and what about these phantom, uh, what are they called, where it hallucinates, the AI hallucinates and gives you false information? I mean, who's checking that? What do we do about that? No, I know. I mean, it's completely unregulated, um, which, you know, of course, was wonderful about the Internet in the beginning. And then look what happened to that. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, I feel as if there is a place for these kind of automated technologies in there is a place for it. You know, we're already using those sorts of technologies. I had no idea. Somebody told me that um, it may have been you. I'm not sure. But somebody told me that, you know, all the time that, you know, you, you have to say I'm not a robot. Oh, yes, yes. There's always traffic lights and bridges because that has been teaching like the Tesla and other automated car stuff for years. We've been teaching it. What is a bridge? What is a motorbike? What is a traffic light? Oh, my goodness. So we have been teaching the computer. We've been teaching the automated driving (gasps) software all these years and we didn't even know. We couldn't even charge for it. How awful. That is outrageous. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I really didn't know. Someone told me this just the other day and I was absolutely floored. 
I feel like I now deserve to be paid for every time I've had to do one of those quizzes. I know I've seen some royalties coming on. How many yeah. times have I said, I'm not a robot and press the traffic lights many, many times? <laughs> I had one the other day where I just had to say, I'm not a robot. There was literally nothing else, just I'm not a robot. And I thought, well, okay, yeah. A robot could figure that out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, now we're going to go back to the mobile phone now, which wasn't actually on my question list, but uh, I sound like I'm really, really prepared and have loads and loads of questions. A lot of this is just going with the flow, because that's how I love to do these interviews because I managed to find out so much about different industries and different people's stories and lives and their dreams and achievements just by really asking them something that comes into my head. So I'm really not having loads and loads of questions in front of me, but I still have a general kind of idea of what we'll speak about. And mobile phones was not actually necessarily on the agenda, but you brought it up. And the interesting thing about mobile phones is they are so useful and they are so fantastic. You know, the computers that we carry around with us can do so much. You know, you can record in 4K uh, videos shoot in 4k videos you can record radio shows you can uh, take fantastic pictures and measurements and you know you've got your compass you've got a torch you've got absolutely everything and not to mention the fact that they do also make phone calls um did you know that <laughs> yes i was aware <laughs> it can be easily forgotten now with everything else that they do um, so really the point that I'm making here, and it would be interesting to get your thoughts on this, is although they are so useful and so important, it's also important to take a break from them. It's important to take a break from the barrage of notifications and the lights that the screens emit and also taking you away from being present in the moment with whatever it is that you're doing. So I have various different techniques, you know, I switch off various notifications, I put do not disturb for certain periods of time, and it goes into airplane mode overnight because of the electromagnetic fields and that kind of thing. It's not on charge in the bedroom. You know, I do a few things to kind of manage that. But a few years ago, if I, when I went on holiday, I would just put my phone in the safe and that would be it yeah. for the week. I feel like I can't really do that now. Um, I need my phone to check in. I need my phone to access the hotel's uh, timetable. I need the phone to get notifications about what's happening with my flight. And okay, you could just leave it to chance and just turn up at the airport. And if there's a delay, there's a delay. Um, it's just the phone is used for so much. And, it, and it's kind of, it's, I think it's hard sometimes for people to take a break from their phones and maybe even harder if they don't even realize the impact that that much uh, demand of our attention, our time can have on our mental well-being for starters. So what are your thoughts on, on that? And also what, how do you manage uh, your mobile phone use and your kind of relaxation time? You know, it's a really, it's a really, really interesting subject, and I think about it a lot. Probably, more, I probably give this more thought than than lots of people because I've noticed my screen time. You know, because the the other thing it does is tell you how long you've had it open for, and of you course. know, hours and hours more than I'd have ever, you know, ever even dreamed that I would need to be attached to my device. So actually, um, I often have a slightly 
out their dream of just chucking it into the sea, which is not possible. And it's very expensive and you don't want to do that, right? You just bought a brand new iPhone 15 or whatever. Right in the, oh dear, that's another 1,500 pounds. Oops. But I hate it so much, you know, because you mm. are tethered, completely tethered to it. As mm-hmm. you said, you need it to check everything. You need it to check your bank. You need it to pay your bills. You need it to, you know, hire a car. You need, you know, you need it for everything. Um, yeah. And it, I hate that feeling of being absolutely reliant on something that could run uh-huh. out of get run out of battery, and then what do you do? Yeah, exactly. You can't you know, get your flight I, home. You can't get into a hotel. You can't. Yeah, can't transfer your, your money because you know, we've, we've forgotten how to use cash. So. You know, it's 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 quite a lot, and um, and how do I manage it? Well, I've been quite good at it for for quite some years. Like I don't like to have um, as much as possible. Like to have uh, uh, the phone at the dinner table, but that's not always possible either with the kind of work that I do. Sometimes you need to take a call, um, and, <laughs> and you know, sometimes you do need to. So I mean, the the rules, the rules that I've had that I with myself have become uh, maybe a little bit more lax. I do. I do find myself sometimes with friends and, you know, at some point everyone picks up their phone. Yeah. Um, and so I, I hate that, the idea of not being present. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a really, really key point. I think it is, we, we just have got so much of a shorter attention span now because of just constantly scrolling. Mm-hmm. That being in the present moment, I think lots of people really struggle with. Um, yeah. And I even found myself struggling with it, which for me isn't very normal because I'm very much like, if you're in the company of somebody you know, I'm I'm kind of engaged with them, and I'm you know I, I'm eye contact and all of that. But yeah. you know, the minute the minute that either of you kind of breaks that, people generally just sort of like they look for their device. We're all obsessed. Yes, with it. yeah, yeah. It's like opening the floodgates. You know, you see couples in a restaurant. One of them gets up to go to the loo. The other one picks up their phone. They're missing that moment when their partner comes back from the toilet and walks up to the table because they're just staring at their screen. That connection. Yeah. They're missing that connection. Yeah, I mean, I always used to have my best ideas while walking, and I think I probably still have my best ideas while walking. However, I have to be really mindful to be able to have those ideas and not walk with a phone in my hand. Yeah, exactly. See, I have my best ideas when I'm driving or when I'm having a shower, and those are two places that you very definitely do not use your mobile phone. Well, there we go then. Your thought processes are fine. I'm I'm a little bit worried about mine and perhaps the rest of humanity's, but at least, Rebecca, you're still going to have... Good I'm ideas. still gonna have good ideas <laughs> no I you know what actually you're completely right screen time is just it has to be limited otherwise mm. I mean we create to have to be really creative thoughts and, and 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 think out of the box I can't do that while staring at a screen it's no. just it, you know and I feel like it, it's that mindset but that's you know we do exercise for and you know all the other stuff I mean I think you have to you have to be mindful of it um, yeah, it, it is difficult. It is difficult. I guess all those techie, techie geniuses make these apps so we become obsessed with them. Of so, course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Outsmarting the human brain, but we will consciously resist that, Lucy. I love it. <laughs> I thought there was a movement starting. <laughs> <laughs> we are pioneers. <laughs> now, my final question, and it's it's an unusual one for you, actually, because you don't have a driving license. Um, you know more about supercars. 
<laughs> Sorry about that. Um, you know more about supercars than your average person on the streets, um, but you don't have a driving license. And that's okay because you know what? You can be chauffeured and you can drive your speedboat. So, you know, that's pretty cool. And hopefully soon Elon will give me that an autonomous car and I can just, you know, exactly. drive me along. Control it from your phone. <laughs> exactly. What does a girl need? <laughs> so if you had a driving license no actually you don't even need a driving license to answer this question because when you are being driven is there anything that you absolutely have to have with you it could be a creature comfort it could be anything what is your absolute must I think to have a really good enjoyable car journey it has to be a playlist like there has to be oh, some good yes. music Without the good music, in fact, in fact, when people have opposite music taste to me and they are driving and I'm sitting there as a passenger, it can kind of ruin a perfectly lovely journey. Um, so I would say a killer playlist um, uh, is, is number one thing. And, and um, what's in your killer playlist? What do you, what music is? That would, that would depend very much on mood. Uh-huh. That would depend, you know, I, I'm very much, if you've gone in a kind of like mood to go and do something important, I'd want something kind of big and guitar-y. Um, but you know, maybe if it's just a little drive in the country, we'd want it to be a little bit more chilled out. I'm a definitely mood music person. Um, Love that. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I, maybe I would need a driver, but if just Sarah's driving myself in case it may happen. Um, <laughs> I think it's about the company that you keep, isn't it really? Um, oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So it's whoever who's either in the driving seat or in the passenger seat, or, you know, maybe, maybe that might be my dog who, who's also incredible company. Or a great Aww. friend, or somebody. But yeah, I mean, I love, I love, a, I love a great car journey. I really enjoy them, even though I'm not driving. Um, and Aww. that is good music and good friends, and also fun destination, right? I mean, yeah, definitely. That's the difference between yachting, I think, and 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 with cars. I mean, with cars, you kind of like to get to where you're going, and with yachts, it's more about getting there. It's the journey. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And actually, that mindset has helped me to travel with small children because. Instead of focusing on just getting there, it is the journey is just as important. So if we have a long drive and we stop somewhere and, you know, they have a play and we stop and have something to eat. And, you know, if you just focus on I must get there, I must get there. That could be at the detriment to everybody's happiness. So we enjoy the journey as well. It's all about the journey, not about the destination in my book. Love that. Such great answers and a real pleasure to have on the show tonight. Thank you so much for your time, Lucy, and answering all of my probing questions. (laughs) It's been wonderful, Rebecca. Thank you so much. Oh, lovely. So before we sign off the show, just let us know your website is lucygardner.com. Is that right? Yeah, you can find me at lucygardner.com and you can see my work uh, pretty regularly in the Islander magazine and also in Yacht Style magazine if you're in the Middle East and in Asia. Amazing. And if you're in Monaco or Cannes this September and October, is that right? Yeah, this September, I shall be at the Monaco Yacht Show at the end of September and at the, at the middle of September, I shall be at the Cannes Yachting Festival. You'll see me running around with a microphone um, um, on and off various vessels and there's some amazing yachts to see at both those shows. So if you have got any interest, you should definitely come and join us there and see the yacht circus out in full force. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Lucy. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Good night and enjoy a wonderful, gorgeous night's sleep tonight. <laughs>